You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. The donor development continuum is dead. That was that was a LinkedIn post that you put on LinkedIn, Lewis. It generated a <laughs> lot of attention, a lot of conversation. You and I went back and forth a little bit. That's that's what we're gonna get into today. Boy, I'm excited to to talk about this. And uh, just don't really think it's dead. Okay, you know, maybe it was a little bit of provocation. Somebody actually use this, oh, that's direct response copywriting, as if that were a bad thing. So uh, people were reading it. But yes, I think uh, the donor development continuum can use a refresh. I think there are things that have happened in the last few months or years, maybe a decade, that um, should make us think about what we're doing and maybe try different approaches. Yeah, I think the reason that it got such a strong response is that because a large part of organizations have built their entire fundraising strategy around the idea of the donor development continuum. It's been taught forever. Uh, it's It crops up in so many trainings. It is this found, foundational, fundamental thing that we believe to be true about fundraising and have believed to be true about fundraising since the 50s or 60s. And um, when 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 you sort of put a, put a provocative statement like hey this foundational thing that we all believe in is changing it's going to attract opinions yeah and there's lots of people that have a lot invested into this you know there were there were consultants uh responding trainers responding my first boss um that's what she told me. I don't know if it was the first day I walked into the office, but, you know, she was like, hey, Lewis, have you heard about the donor development continuum? It sounds so scientific. You know, it sounds like it, it's a real thing. Um, you know, it's a construct. We can come up with better constructs, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a very helpful way to think about fundraising. I think it served the sector well for years, but things have changed. And so so do our ways of thinking about things need to change. Our mental models need to change. Our the frameworks, the way we see the world needs to probably evolve as people are evolving and as humans are evolving. Humans who are our donors and, and who may have different expectations than people used to have expectations as the relationship between a donor and a charity changes as people start taking their job as citizens more seriously. Um, and at the same time, as people get pretty heavily influenced by consumer culture, there's all sorts of things that are happening. Um, and they're that... influenced by, sorry, Mike, but they're influenced by consumer culture. They're also influenced by each other. And I think that if we get into the why it served our sector so well, as you just said, um, part of it was that we we as in nonprofits were had really valuable information that our donors wanted or, or our prospective donors wanted they wanted to hear about that research because there was no other place to read about it yeah they wanted to hear about that mission work um about those kids that are going into school now you know thanks to the work of the nonprofit um that is no longer the case and i'm sure you see it too right yeah, we talked about this in, in one of our previous episodes is that the information gap has completely closed now. 
And so the nonprofit is no longer the keeper of information. Um, some nonprofits are, if you're really heavy into innovation and research, um, they're still whatever, but that's, but even that is changing quite rapidly. So the relationship that people have with their charities and what they're expecting from the causes they care about and the value they get from that relationship, that has changed as well. And so that's, that's part of what we're going to get into with the donor development continuum changing and it is uh it's it's a positive challenge to people listening to this to just like see this as an exercise see this as a mental exercise even if you're completely 100 bought into the donor development continuum and it's worked well for you just just take this conversation as a challenge to stretch your mind and see what else might be possible let's do a little bit of mental gymnastics together and let's just explore for the sake of exploring to see if there are different <laughs> mental models out here to think about fundraising. This podcast is your equivalent of Jane Fonda. <laughs> that must be Mike. Um, what is the donor development continuum? What it is for those who might not be aware, right? Um, and I'll take a first step, Mike, and then maybe you can, I'm sure, uh, add a lot of, of, of detail. And um, the way I understand it, it's a, it's a way to categorize relationships along a set of steps, that's why it's called a continuum, um, where there are different definitions for each step, but essentially at some point we don't know the person, so we're going to go to know them, and that's called discovery. Um, then we might qualify them to see if they have potential to be a major donor or not, um, at which point we cultivate them if the this you know if the qualification is positive we cultivate them um then we solicit them and then we steward them have i missed any big things am i revealing big chunks of ignorance no that's that's the traditional donor development continuum that that's exactly it it's discovery cultivation solicitation and stewardship and okay. the premise was always that we as a nonprofit kind of had control over that relationship. It was neat little steps, one after the other. We expected people to behave maybe a certain way. And if we follow these steps, then you're kind of going to get this outcome. It was never predictable, but it had the illusion of being sort of predictable because if you did it enough times, you got predictable results. And and that might still be true for a lot of things that we do. It's that the exact results are unpredictable. But if you follow a certain framework and you focus your energy and attention on executing it well, you will see some results out of it. And that becomes a little bit predictable. Now, the thing that I think that you identified here is the thing that we thought was happening was us having control of the relationship is, is not the case at all. I mean, we've. I think that's the world that we live in, and we've lost that. That's not coming back. And I think it's related to the information explosion, uh, the internet, and social media, and the amount of terabytes of information that are generated in every second now. Mm -hmm. uh, the connectivity among people, but that means connectivity among your donors. So essentially, they're talking with each other without you. Um, I see this when I work with universities. Uh, I kind of, uh, you know, I do some surveying work and I ask them about their communities. So how are they connected to the organization? And lots of people have their own separate communities from 
the official organizational ones. So here goes, you know, the, the staff employees and they think, oh, you know, like we're in control, you know, everything, we know everything that's going on. If it isn't in the database, it didn't happen. That was actually um, at Hopkins uh, kind of the motto, you know, if it's not in the database, it didn't happen. Uh, but here's the world saying we're meeting, you know, around you, engaging kind of with you, but without you. So, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we've lost control and we need to find a new way. <laughs> yeah. And this often applies to like post-secondary education, uh, education institutions where you've got, you know, a large base of alumni who are out in the world and who start congregating on their own and forming their own relationships that, that maybe started at school and are still sort of related to school, but have become their own thing. It can happen with federated nonprofits that have multiple chapters across multiple regions across the country that are very heavily on volunteer involvement. And then volunteers start forming their own groups and they start doing their own fundraisers and they start doing their own thing. And then all of a sudden you see the nonprofit become really scared about brand consistency yeah. and trying to oh step in and control yeah. that. And like and go fund me. Like right. go yep. fund me start to pop up because people see a problem, they want to fix it and they're not going to wait for you. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, one of the things that has definitely changed is that we no longer have control of the relationship. I argue we probably never did, but I think we used to have more influence in the relationship and what has changed now is that um, people no longer need you for information and maybe no longer even trust you as much. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it just means that they have other people they can trust related to your organization. So people talk to each other. They have peer groups. They oftentimes do their own research. Um, I'm always surprised in the major donor work that I still get to do is how much research some major donors have done completely on their own without ever talking to the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and some of that research does not happen on your website. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I have another kind of stat that supports that is that Marketing used to work, and we had a, a marketing expert, a, a really great, amazing guy called Mark Schaefer, speak to us in the, mm -hmm. in our donor. And he was telling us that you know, marketing used to work. You put up ads, and things happened. People reacted to them. That is less and less the case. So you know, I just yeah. kind of supporting the, this whole atmosphere. You you know you put messages out and just people are either ignoring them or react, you know, resisting them. <laughs> yeah. And one of the, one of maybe the key foundational, one of the key foundational changes in marketing over the past years has been where successful nonprofits or organizations or community organizations or, or, or even companies have switched their marketing from like advertising um, to like being helpful. Right. And so the marketing they're doing is just providing something valuable for their community, which is playing the long game because it creates um, trust, essentially. Trust. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So the old way of doing the donor development continuum is discovery, cultivation, solicitation and stewardship. Hey, Mike, sorry to interrupt, um, because you're such an expert in all of this. Is that the same thing as moves management? I always get really confused. Is that equivalent? 
or is it slightly different or is there it's uh yeah so moves management um probably comes more into place post discovery it is it it often comes into place in the cultivation solicitation sort of a phase it's just a way of structuring the donor development continuum but absolutely moves management largely speaking is just this system that you've created to keep track of all of your relationships and at what part of the donor development continuum they are on and okay so the the donor development continuum is the buckets moves management which is a terrible like you know show me your moves (laughs) (laughs) um is how you go about uh, doing your work with donors in each of those buckets. Yeah, it's organizing it in a way that things don't fall through the cracks. It's a systematized way of... of it, it, it serves the fundraiser who has this big portfolio to know sort of what the next move is. Um, and uh, I am... Uh, Probably for another podcast, but we can talk about moves management being dead as well. <laughs> well, the the guy who kind of invented it, what was his name? You know him, um, Cornell. Um, yeah. He was actually, a, you can find articles, interviews with him saying that he's kind of sorry that he invented it because it kind of turned into this monster that he didn't mean it to be. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um. All right, so that's the that's sort of we're going to call it the old way, although it's still like very much the current way. The old way is discovery, cultivation, solicitation, stewardship. Um, somebody is interested, then we really try to get to know them. We cultivate them, we ask them for the big gift, and we steward them. And then we do it all over again. And we've got um, typically we've got people who are helping out at different parts of the continuum, but we always see it as this continuum. There's only one way that donors move through our organization, and it's this way. And we also organize our entire strategy around this way. Now, here's what's happening right now. Things have changed. Let's get into the discovery phase. What's happening in discovery? Okay, so folks that are out there on the front lines, and again, another terrible word. It's not, this is not a war zone, but folks who are out there speaking with donors every day, um, I'm sure they feel how this is problematic. So uh, discovery is almost not discovery anymore. At least, you know, the donors ha- has done as much discovery about you than you are doing about them. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, it's harder and harder to book those visits. Whereas before you could give them to a junior employee and it was just, you know, kind of a given that people wanted to meet with you. Um I'm generalizing a whole lot. I can imagine just people, you know, reacting to that. But it was easier, and now it's harder. Um, and there was like that typical template that, you know, hi, on April five to ten, I will be in your area. I'd love to meet with you to give you an update on our nonprofit. You know, uh, when to meet with you. Things. So that's, yeah. you know, that's harder. Um, you get so then when you get to meet with the donor they have sophisticated questions or they have mm-hmm. opinions that they formed already that yep. they, they're not willing to form their opinion. Yeah. Essentially. Right. They're waiting like to that- vent or to tell you everything that's wrong or something else. Right. But the, that, that dynamic has changed. So it's not really discovery. The cultivation has changed. Um, and of course that impacts the solicitation and what, you were just saying about marketing turning into something more helpful because that's what works. 
um, nonprofits kind of have you know missed that boat yet uh, because stewardship still is the 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 ugly duckling at the end, yeah, whereas right. you know, be that thing to kind of you know uh, uh, kind of be the whole relationship. Yeah. So, so donors are their symptoms. Donors are donors are discovering you and forming their own opinions. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I've and it could just be this could be highly anecdotal. It could just be the meetings that I've had. Um, but is that the questions that donors are asking are different than they were? Um, sometimes we assume donors would have some questions about finances and they would have questions about programs and projects. And so we were very prepared to talk about those things. I've seen more and more donors ask about, well, tell me how you think about this. Um, tell me how you think about your work. Tell me how you make decisions around um, development. Tell me um, how you think about DEI, for example. Um, tell me, how are you thinking right now? Like the world is, seems like we're heading for a recession. How are you thinking about this? What are you guys doing to create future value and, and to be around 10 years from now? Um, mm -hmm. Questions about values seem to be cropping up a lot more. Um, and those are interesting conversations to have because a lot of fundraisers are not prepared to answer those questions. They're going in thinking the donor is going to ask me, well, how many kids are you feeding? And like, uh, you know, for a gift of 50,000, what will that mean in terms of, you know, how many classrooms can you build for that or how can, whatever it is. Um, and I think those things are totally like valid and those are great things to talk about. But I see some donors starting to have different questions where they're aligning their values with the nonprofit's values and they're really looking for a fit beyond just how much will X dollars give me in terms of an outcome. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, I think that's related to people discussing your work outside of your sphere of influence so that, you know, those kind of those infamous social media bubbles that get formed where their values are, you know, they're kind of based on values, right? Yeah. Um, it's also related to people wanting or feeling that they have a direct relationship to the CEO or, you know, and, and more as a, more as a person than an administrator. Yeah. And we see that like Mike, you and I are on LinkedIn, all, you know, pretty frequently. And we see that people want to have a relationship, you know, with you as the CEO of build good rather than with the institutional account. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think that's related in a way to yeah. all those things that you're seeing. Yeah. The the other part, and we can move from, from discovery into cultivation here, is that, um, you know, maybe you should be bringing more people from the team along to meetings, not just a fundraiser. Um, maybe you should be bringing the head of programming. Um, maybe you should be bringing somebody um, to those meetings so you can bring the work to the donor, draw the, the, draw the donor closer to the work, to the people who are doing the work. And not just, we used to hire fundraisers who were really charming and, you know, could golf um, and who would then go and meet with high net worth individuals um, and sort of shoot the bull for a while and have a great friendship, which is still important. But, um, but I think there's more we can do for donors. And I think donors are starting to want more than just that superficial relationship. Well, I mean, I, 
kind of think of this new and I found this to be exactly the case. So one of like my you know biggest quickest successes I had in fundraising for a program that wasn't very promising was involving the thought leaders and you know what I kind of call internal thought leaders. Yeah. Um forming like having almost every project be like its own mini board. You know, and that's the feeling that donors want to have. They want to be in. They want to co-create with you. Yeah. They want to speak to the kind of the people that have the goods in the organization. You know, not only to the messenger, which, as you said, you know, maybe a perfectly likable individual, and you know, we all hope we kind of are, but more more as the conduit rather than the the ultimate person. So that type of relationships is really, I think we're jumping into what you can do to overcome the weakness of the donor development continuum, right? Which is you can involve people more in a more significant Mm -hmm. way with more content yeah, and valuable content. So the reason we brought that up is because, you know, in discovery, donors are now often di- doing their own discovery and they're doing their exactly. own informal sort of research. But then in, in the cultivation phase, a lot of your cultivation comes off across as like not sincere, not genuine, mm-hmm. um, kind of fake flattery maybe. Um, mm-hmm. and, and people are starting to see through that. Well, I mean, all of it, right? The, the galas, the we want to for the magazine um there's a trust issue going on in society i would say as a whole even Mm -hmm. though we're very fortunate to be in a part of the world that has comparatively high trust right um i was um i i was i was speaking with a relative the other day um about uh spain and some of the things that we're saying kind of made me feel like, you know, like it was about a, an, a, I'd interviewed the CEO of this company that has joint bank accounts as a product. And I thought it was really interesting because it was very nonprofity. OK, so my reaction and I think in our context was how to how to use it to do good, right. um, whereas in other contexts, it might be, well, how do you know somebody's not going to steal all the money? Right. So anyhow, having given, you know, given that we're, we're in a relatively privileged space people trust us less um and so all that discovery and that cultivation you know it just has to i don't know if you like if we even need cultivation like maybe the cultivation is we value you enough to value your voice and your input when we're working on this together yeah yeah solicitation um the reason this, uh, let's put it this way. The reason this might not be working the way it used to work is that we never involved or rarely involved the donor in the project before we actually solicited the funds. It was all. It was always still, this is what we're doing. This is how much it's going to cost. Can you be a part of it? Here's what your gift of this much can do. And... Um, you, anybody who's worked with major donors, you know, when you get a thousand dollar check, that's just a donor telling you a donor who can make a million dollar gift. That's a donor telling you, okay, go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, right. Or 5,000, whatever it is. Like you sometimes get token gifts or, um, or let's test the relationship. No. Right. Yeah. I'll give you a little bit, see how you handle it. We can go from there. Now, 
the reason that may not be working as well anymore is because everything we talked about with donors having done their own discovery, donors having seen through your cultivation efforts, not trusting you as much, and haven't been part of co-creating it. They were asked for wallet share before necessarily brain share, right? Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, how, how do you see I, that? Can I can I interject here for those that are listening to this and are bristling, saying, I do this, I do this well, and I've seen it done well. Yeah. And I I would I would argue that the way it, it still works at the highest end of the spectrum, but the way that it is being done well requires a whole lot of what Mike is saying, what I'm saying, all this cultivation, this co-creation that we're doing in a very time-intensive way so that it only works and, or it's keep it, it, it's still working with the, the top of the pyramid that, as we know, is growing smaller and um, is contributing more and more of the percentage of what we raise every year. So it's, it's not black or white. It's not that it doesn't work. It's that it's taking a whole lot more resources to make work, and that's having kind of a downstream effect. Yeah. And it, it does, to be clear, the thing that we're going to get into this, the thing that we're proposing is, is is in some ways a little bit more work, but I would argue it's not necessarily more work. It's just different kind of work. So it's going to feel like it's more work. And it's always easier to keep doing the thing that you're already doing than to change something because it's going to feel kind of risky and kind of scary and kind of like we're doing this proven thing and we're getting some results out of it. Now, stewardship, the last phase of the traditional donor continuum um, during development continuum yeah can feel insincere or rote or mechanical or impersonal mm -hmm. um I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it mike um i think stewardship should be most of all we do and i think probably donor relations should be the lens like departments that are large enough to have a donor relations team that team should probably be in charge of most of the relationship yeah. not just the stewardship part yeah and it's no accident that stewardship is last in the donor development continuum um that's the way that it was set up and it is oftentimes a perfunctory thing we do after we got the gift because that's what we were supposed to do um it is not seen as a growth strategy even though we know it is easier to grow from the donors we already have the donors we already have are more valuable to us than the ones we hope to acquire in the future, right? That should just be our default mindset. And when you say this, and I know like people say it in the for-profit environment, right? And there's some stats to support that. In nonprofits, the stats to support that are like through the roof because it's not only that they're yearly, monthly, you know, maybe whatever level gift, it's that the more they stay, the more likely they are to become one of those major donors yeah. that can really explode your numbers. Yeah, and even for people who may never have uh, the kind of income to make a gift that we would consider a high net worth individual or a high gift, which I think we should reconsider anyways, but um, even for for people who are the average donor next door, their likelihood that they're going to leave a gift in their will goes up significantly every single time they make another gift to you. 
Um, exactly. And that's, it's, that's actually a huge responsibility. You get to honor somebody's legacy. So uh, if you just think about it that way, um, stewardship is really, it is a growth strategy. Um, oh it is a retention strategy as well. Um, but it's not just this perfunctory thing that Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and BuildGood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.